He has flown over the enemy in a helicopter in Vietnam, and over the last four decades, possibly more, he has taught people how to fight the enemy of their souls, teaching Sunday school at Evangel Temple. He's my Sunday school teacher, and you're going to meet him right after this. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. Welcome back in, everyone, to another edition of Faces of Faith. I'm your host, Phil Scoggins, and I am delighted to have a very familiar face of faith sitting across from me here in our podcast studio. His name is Troy Roberts. Troy is my Sunday school teacher and has been for the last quarter of a century at Evangel Temple, and his teaching goes well beyond the past 25 years, let me assure you. But, Troy, thanks for taking time out of your schedule and coming and being with me here today. Oh, thank you, Phil. It's not a taking time out of a schedule that's already loose with retirement. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I always do at the beginning of a podcast is assume that people don't know you. Uh, I, I know you personally and, and know a lot about you, but I want our viewers and those who listen to this podcast to know who I, I'm speaking with. So we're going we're gonna to go back in time. We're going to do a flashback, if you will, to uh, your growing up years, you are from Lubbock, Texas, is that correct? That is correct. Take us back to uh, your memories of your childhood and uh, uh, your family experience, your exposure to the gospel when, when you were young. I want to hear about your early years. Oh, I've got a great story to tell. I'm sure a lot of other folks do, too. Uh, I, I, I was born in a small town, a farming community just uh, nine miles out of the city of uh, Lubbock, Texas. Okay. And my father was a farmer, and uh, in those days, the farm help were children, and I was the 11th child out of 12, wow. the youngest son. And uh, when I was two years old, my parents came to know God. Uh, my father was a rounder uh, in the early years. He and my mother uh, married in, um, in uh, 1919 and, uh, and had a first child about two years later. But I remember one story. Let's uh, just take a second. But remember one we story. We got an hour, so you take, <laughs> your, you take your Then time. I need not hurry. That's again. right. Uh, one story. My mother had told it to us on occasion where my father would uh, work for the railroad, mm-hmm. and he would finish on Friday afternoon when they'd pay him. He'd go by the bar, and he'd get drunk and spend most of the money and then come home. And, and um, at that time, they had a huge... Uh, newspaper, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and and we subscribed, my parents subscribed to that, and he would take that paper and he would beat my wife with it, I mean my mother with it, and uh, just to keep her straight. And my mother, uh, you may have met her, but my mother was a saint, just absolutely a saint. And um, the story she tells is that one day he came in and uh, started beating on her with with the uh, uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram paper, and then he passed out on the bed, and while he was passed out, she spread-eagled him on one of those iron bedsteads, mm-hmm. and when he woke up, he was all tied, spread-eagled out, and she told him, said, if you ever beat me again, I'm going to kill you, and uh, that got his attention. I don't think she would have. She's not that type of woman, but that got his attention, and he changed his life, and he, when I was two years old, which was a number of years later, mm-hmm. my parents went to a, a, a revival meeting in a church. And gave their life to God. And so I grew up in the church from age two on. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, with uh, I remember riding a 1939 DeSoto to church on Sunday morning, and there were uh, nine children in that car, plus my mother and daddy, that we weren't all in the car, because I had two brothers, the two just older than I, who would ride on the fender. You remember the fenders oh, used yeah. to be external, mm -hmm. and they would hold onto the hood ornament, ornament in the middle, and then ride, and I remember one Sunday morning, the police called us, and well, we didn't realize we were doing anything wrong, but they stopped us and said, you can't let the children ride outside. Of course, at that time, my father... <laughs> Drove about 20 miles an hour, 25 yeah, right. miles, even to his death. He still drove very slowly. Uh, but he said, you can't do that. But I remember those times when we'd all get in that 39 model DeSoto and go to church. So I was in church from age two on. And at age six, I remember sitting in an old plank altar in a small church and uh, giving my life to the Lord. And at age six, well, people sometimes think that, Age six children can't do it. Well, I'm here to tell you that one age six children did do it. Mm. And so I have been, uh, although not very effective in them on occasion and failing often, but I have been a warrior of the cross since then. Absolutely. That's my early stuff. Tell me about the influence that your mom had on you. Oh, precious woman. My mother was one of those people that we would get so frustrated at her sometimes because uh, she would just constantly accept the abuses that people would offer. Mm -hmm. And she just, she never got upset. I don't remember ever seeing my mother upset. And I know she had to be frustrated, but she never struck out, never said anything. Mm -hmm. And I believe that probably watching her grow up uh, taught me the what little bit of the concept of patience that I have now. <laughs> and, you know, I, I tease about this all the time that I'm real short on patience, and sometimes I am. But I, but I watched my mother grow up with patience when people would seemingly abuse a situation in which she was involved and how she would show the love of God and always constantly blessing people uh, with, similar to my wife. You know my wife. She's always blessing people with something. Yeah. And my mother We're was going to talk that. about her, too. Yeah. So. Well, she's a worthy subject. Uh, but uh, the fact is, is that I watched her grow up. And my father, uh, can I, if, I don't Absolutely. know if you were going to go there. Segway but, there, yeah. But let me go over to my father's side. My, when my father came to know the Lord and I was two years old, uh, uh, his life changed dramatically at that time. Hard worker. Hard worker. Lord, he made us kids work. We were farm boys, and so we, we worked on the farm, being on the tractor in the morning at 5 o'clock. Uh, working till after dark at night, coming in by lights on the tractor, and mm. and it was a it was a difficult time, but a blessed time. I look back now and say thank you, Lord, for being the son of a farmer. But the point is, is that my father was one of those stable men that if you needed anything, you could always count on it. So I had the blessing of two sides, mm -hmm. and I don't know that that translated well into my life. But the fact is, I, it influenced me some. Because with that, I saw the stability and the kindness and the love coming from my parents and the dedication that said every time the church door was open, we're going to be there. And now, Lord, I'm getting old, and I still go to church every time the church door is open. I just believe that joining together with fellow saints is important to my spiritual well-being. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your memories of your exposure as a young um, boy growing up to the Spirit of the Lord. In, in service? Well, uh, 
First off, that I grew up in in a Pentecostal background, mm-hmm. and for the people who may not be aware of what Pentecostal background is, it is a firm belief that there is an act of blessing or grace of God that gives us a gift. It's the Scripture calls it a comforter or uh, an intercessor, and it, that that gift of God comes in my life. So I grew up in that background. Mm-hmm. I've seen the I've seen God work in individual lives my entire life, and I've seen Him work in the church. And it used to be it worked probably a little differently than it does now, uh, with a little more power than we see. Now, I'm talking about spiritual power. Uh, you are aware, probably, I know you are. In fact, that we're in a constant battle between good and evil. There is a spirit of evil in the world. And then there's a spirit of God mm-hmm. in the world that is not of this world. It's different. We see that today in world affairs, and we see it in our politics, and we see it in our workplaces, the decisions that are being made today. And I, I, I guess at some point I sort of learned that the spirit of God that works through me is the actual God working in the community. And so in that respect, and I don't want to pat myself on the back with this because there are many, many people who believe the same thing, but in that respect, I am one of God's emissaries in the world. And my job is to show people, to be a witness to what God has done for me. So I grew up with this idea of having church a part of my life and having God a part of my life and having even beyond that the gift of gifts of God as a part of my life and I've seen it work now I'm getting close to I'm getting close to 80 so it's you know how many more years am I going to have here I probably only have about 30 more years (laughs) but in that 30 more years I want to continue to serve God tell me about the um your your education experience uh you you went to Vietnam, that section of your life, and how the Lord uh, ministered to you during your school years and your service to our country. Well, I mentioned a moment ago that uh, uh, I was the son of a farmer, and we were were poor. Had a number of embarrassing situations because of our poverty. Our poverty I should not have had, but in my immaturity, I did. And so when it came time for school... Uh, for college, out of 12 children, I was the first one to ever go to college out of 12. I was uh, the third one to graduate from high school out of 12 children. Not terribly abnormal back then. Mm -hmm. But when it came time for college, my parents, precious men men and women that they were, could not afford to pay for my college. Now, at that time, in Texas, they had land-grant colleges, and so I, I went to Texas Tech, and I paid a total sum of $50 per semester for tuition. And every semester, I would struggle to save up $50 to pay. And I went to my wonderful brother, Doyle, that lives in Nashville, I went to him many times to say I'm $15 short or something, and he worked and didn't go to, uh, didn't graduate from high school, did not, did not go to college, but he worked. 
and he would give me $15 or whatever I needed. And I would register early in the week, especially in my later years when I was getting in uh, uh, junior and senior years. I would register at the first of the week. We were given that opportunity. and But I had to have the money in by noon on Friday. And I would get it in sometimes at 11 o'clock <laughs> on Friday. But God always provided. Yeah. And that, a lot of that was due to my brother and others. But the fact is, we always came up with the $50. Now, you imagine mm. you're saving $50. We can't even imagine the strain of saving $50. But back then... It was real tough, deal. but I graduated from uh, Texas Tech. What'd you study? Uh, I had a, I, I took a double degree there because I I, I didn't uh, I thought I was smarter than I was, and I <laughs> I wanted to be I wanted a psychologist, so I took a psychology major, and but also took a secondary uh, sociology major. So I was one of those guys that really didn't know what he wanted to do. <laughs> and as it turned out, uh, it worked out well because uh, immediately, well, just before I graduated. My favorite uncle uh, invited me to join the military. That was back in the days of the draft, and so I was drafted, and I went down to the local uh, military uh, uh, board, the draft board, and begged and groveled in front of them. Anyway, they allowed me to finish up, and um, I graduated in graduated in June, and I reported into the military in February. Wow. I went to a wonderful Camp Fort Dix in the middle of winter, Arrived there from 75-degree weather in West Texas to about 30-degree weather with a short sleeve shirt on, and I about froze to death. But nonetheless, spent my uh, initial training there and then to back to Fort McClellan. And because I had joined rather than being drafted, uh, after having been drafted, uh, I was authorized to come to Fort Benning and went through officer candidate school at Fort Benning and then from there uh, to flight school. So I ended up uh, flying for the military, and I had a total of uh, a total of thirty-two years there, and uh, a lot of it was in the reserve component, the National Guard. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, uh, my roundabout way of getting here was the fact that Uncle Sam got me mm. right after I graduated from college. Never did get into psychology, by the way, but uh, it's still good. Got a good life. Well, I know um, you met a special lady when you were here at Fort Benning. Yeah. Uh, let's let's introduce your precious wife Jane into the equation now. Oh, How did yeah. that happen? Well, Jane is the uh, she's the glowing star of the Roberts resident. You know that. Uh, I Amen. was I was blessed. I came to. There's a a little funny story about let's this. Hear it. I came to Fort Benning and. In OCS, we could not get off post until actually the 18th week of training. At that time, it was six months worth of training. And on the 18th week, we finally got our blue status, which was the senior status in OCS. And I was allowed to get off post on Sunday morning. Now, these are little stories that nobody but military people, uh, OCS people would know about. But at that time, we always had a party when we turned intermediate status and then senior status. And we always were looking for dates. And so at that time, and ladies, don't don't think this wrong. This was legitimate, and it was okay. But they had a list that they passed around that had girls' names on it. And I had a car, one of the very few people in, in uh, OCS that had a car. And uh, so I, my job was to be out looking, actually asking girls, will you come to the party? We're having a party. Would you come? And I passed uh, Evangel Temple on 12th Avenue, 3000 block. Of 12th Avenue is in Just Columbus. up the street from the TV station. Correct. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, 
just jotted the address down, and I knew I was going to be able to get off post soon. And when I did, I went back into the church on a Sunday morning to just to be in a church. I'd gone to chapel all that time, but it's not as satisfying as being in your own faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I walked in, had a great choir in front of the congregation, and I saw three ladies there that absolutely caught my attention. There was one lady that was in the alto section and one lady that was over there in the soprano section. And then there was another lady that was sitting beside the second lady in the soprano section. I found out within the next couple of weeks that the lady over here in the alto section and the one in the soprano section were twins, both of them beautiful women. And the one next, sitting next to the second person was the mother of the twins. And uh, so, but I, I joke all the time that on that day I fell in lust with my wife. <laughs> and um, when I was able to stay out and actually ask her for a date, which we did uh, uh, just four or five weeks later, uh, we actually went with a group of people and we just sort of became friends. And then I was blessed further by her father, who was a World War II veteran who loved military people and he would take us in and feed us lunch. And, of course, uh, you couldn't get a stronger pull than a pretty girl and lunch. And a good meal. And a good meal. Mm-hmm. And her mother was a tremendous cook. And uh, so I started dating Jane, and six months to the day from the date I met her, uh, we married. Now, that's been 53 years, a little over 53 years now, and I'm beginning to think that it's going to take – <laughs> you know, right now, the, the, we, we think we're going to make it here after 53 years. But a wonderful woman who loves God. She loves her family and her grandchildren. I have a grandson in my basement, in the, in the guest suite in my basement right now, uh, who's finishing college this month. And because his lease ran out, we said, come stay with us for the next four months. And he is, and he's just a precious young man. But the fact is, is that Jane is able to make it work. And you know from having been a part of the class that I teach. Called the Joint Join Heirs Sunday Join, School class. Join Heirs class in the Evangel Temple, that Jane is the engine that drives that. Mm-hmm. I go in on Sunday morning, and I, I prepare and I teach a lesson, but the class really runs on her energy. And uh, so God's blessed me with a wonderful one, still beautiful. Now, I will uh, continue that the blessing of Jane on, on our class because um, – she is in contact with the class through um, Facebook, through emails and texts. Uh, and when there's a when there's a prayer need uh, on the phone, making sure that yeah that we've got a prayer chain going. Uh, any social activities that the class is going to be participating in, she's planning and making sure that all the arrangements are made. Um, y'all complement each other extremely well. And how long have you been uh, a team? In, in the teaching component at Evangel Temple? Well, I, I started teaching when I was 15 years old. I first started teaching a 12-year-old boy, a boys' class, about six boys in my church when I was 15 years old. I totally unprepared, but I knew how to tell a Bible story, and mm-hmm. we got by. And I have been in teaching from age 15. <clears throat> now you figure it out, that's 64 years, wow. almost 64 years now. And I have never been out of teaching. So when I married Jane, uh, we went away in the military. I was in Vietnam for a year, and then 
went to Europe for three years, and uh, then we came back here, and we came back into her church, and uh, uh, the, the immediate need at that time was a teacher for uh, our high school kids, and so I took that, taught a year or two there, and then we realized there was a need for to separate the high school and the college-age kids out, and so I started a college class, college-age class, and we did that for probably four or five years. Then we realized that needed to be divided up, and so we broke off from that and started what we call then a single adult ministry, and that was for primarily for people that are out of college, but most of them were people that had been divorced, and uh, some had lost spouses, but some had never married. But the point is, is that God blessed us with that, and we had uh, we were in that that facility in that class for seven years and uh, that class grew from actually two two women one of them still attends our class you'll recognize the name of i don't want to call the name here but chris i'll just say it like yeah. this you recognize that name but it grew from two ladies that started on that first week to over 125 that came every week and uh, lord jane and i we were at panama city probably three or four times a year with them and every weekend we'd go somewhere and Every Monday we'd play volleyball in the gym, and we we were real involved, but we were young and had a lot of energy, so it worked out well. <laughs> but the point is, is that I stayed with them for seven years. <coughs> Excuse me, and then uh, the teacher of the class that we now have, which was not then known as the Joiners class, uh, was had another duty that came up in the church, and he had to relieve uh, himself of that duty in the class, and so Jane and I took the Joint Heirs class. That <clears throat> has been 43 years ago. So we've been in the same uh, class, teaching the same people, a lot of them, now for 43 years. And you just mentioned that you and uh, your wife have been with us for 25. 25, yeah. Good years, yeah, good years. But we have people that in our class now that literally were in our college and career class. Mm. So... Uh, I've been teaching 64 years. That's a lot. I don't know how many more years I've got, but uh, it's still a joy to do it. We will we'll come back to the teaching aspect of your career, but I want to backtrack back to, um, and I know you bring this up from time to time, but uh, tell me your memories of how you relied on the Lord when you were flying helicopters in Vietnam. Well, that, uh, now, first off, I didn't fly helicopters. That's a... Um, uh, you said that earlier, and I just sort of didn't correct it. But Let's get it on the record as accurate. You tell yeah. me what you flew. All right. I, when I went to Vietnam, I flew a fixed-wing aircraft, okay. and I flew uh, what we called a bird dog. It was an O-1, a Cessna L-19 aircraft, and we were doing visual reconnaissance for one year. Uh, in one year, I flew uh, over 1,200 hours in the cockpit. Mm. Uh, that's a lot of hours. Mm. And um, uh, we just go out and look for things that didn't look right. And uh, I flew almost that entire 12 months. Some of the time I flew over in, in uh, toward the Cambodia border. But the point, point is that we most of the time was in one uh, province. And so we, we basically knew all the trails and anything that was abnormal, we'd call it in. And mm -hmm. they'd, have, they'd seen team, send teams out to look at it. So And occasionally, you know, we'd see something. We'd have to uh, call in artillery on or Air Force uh, bombers or mm -hmm. something like that. But uh, one year, and through that year, of course, 
let's back up one step and say this. When I married Jane, we went off to flight school two days after our wedding. And uh, I spent uh, nine months in, in training. Uh, some of that was in learning to fly, and then some of that was in the tactics that we used in the military. But nonetheless, during that time, Jane wanted to start a family and I said, no, let's don't start a family now because if I go to Vietnam and I'm killed, I don't want you to be mm-hmm. uh, uh, with the burden of a child by yourself. Mm-hmm. And she came back with the argument that I could not fight against. She said, if you get killed in Vietnam, I want part <clears throat> of you with me. Now, what man would not want that? So I said, okay, we'll start a, uh, start a family if we can, and which we were able to. And so when I went to Vietnam, I got my orders, and my father-in-law drove me to Montgomery Air Force Base so I could catch a plane and head off to Vietnam. Jane rode in the back seat with me, and I remember so poignantly the, uh, the drive, that hour and a half, where I held her hand the whole time. Her dad was in the front seat driving us, and knowing that she was four months pregnant at that time. I went to Vietnam, and my only prayer there was, uh, Lord, protect my wife mm-hmm. and protect me. And in at the end of uh, her pregnancy, some five or six months later, I remember it was on a Sunday morning. We always got up and did an early flight on Sunday morning. And then I would come back, and my friend, who I, I love him a lot, Michael Gabriel, but Mike would take the second flight. He always took the early flights during the week, but on Sunday he took the second flight so I could go to chapel. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a Christian, military, mili- Christian Missionary Alliance a missionary that was there, and we always go there. But I came back in from my flight probably about 10 or 10.30, and uh, my crew chief came down to the airfield and met me, and she, he said, you got a boy. I, I'm sorry, you got a child, which happened to be a girl. Said, so you got a child. And I said, great. So I rushed back up and got the message. To, at that time, we couldn't get on the phone and call. But I got the message that Jane had given birth to my daughter, Jennifer, who is a, uh, a physician in the city right mm-hmm. now. Some of you recognize that. And I thought, how wonderful it is. So I had to then dodge people the whole time, dodging bad guys the whole time, so I could get back and see my daughter. As it turned out, I left Vietnam in in a year, and I told you I had flown about 1,200 hours in that 12 months. And um, my plane during that 12 months had been hit 37 times by small arm fire. We always flew low because we were looking at things on the ground. Mm -hmm. 37 patches in my plane where people had put bullet holes in it. None of them came through. My friend Mike uh, had the same story there except that a bullet came through the bottom of the plane and hit him right above the knee and his leg was amputated because of that so god protected me yes and i came home and of course after coming home i saw my remember so vividly arriving at the airport and my wife and my daughter who was oh four or five six months old at that time coming across the parking lot and i thought lord i'm here Mm. Can you imagine the first time seeing my wow. seeing my daughter and the first time in a year seeing the woman who is more precious to me than breath almost? Yes. And how God blessed me with that. Mm. I don't have a 
background that's sad. I had to leave them, but the coming back was far more wonderful than I could have ever imagined without having been gone. Great story Absolutely. where God's faithfulness was there. I just trusted in the Lord every day. I'd get up, I'd read my scripture, and I would pray, God, protect my wife, my child, protect me, and we'd go do our job. And God did exactly what I prayed for him to do. One of the things that I ask my guests um, when they come on is, who are your heroes of faith? Who have played roles in your life that you've looked up to, that has been a role model for you, that has had a, a distinct impact on your spiritual life? Oh, Bill, that's a marvelous question. Obviously, obviously, my mother and father were impact had impacted my life. But beyond that, I have two <clears throat> pastors in my younger life that uh, probably did more to mold my life than anyone else. One of them was a pastor by the name of Ira Stewart. And uh, his son and I were best buddies growing up. And, you know, I was so involved with the church. And uh, passed away probably 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, The second person, and this is the one I want to talk about, was a pastor by the name of Lemuel Ammons. And Pastor Ammons was a tall, slender, gawky-type guy. I don't mean that disparagingly. He was marvelous. But he took an interest in me when I was in college. And at that time, I was leading our youth group in our church, and we had a fairly large-sized youth group before the days of youth pastors. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were youth leaders then, and I was just obviously a volunteer but to Pastor Ammons took me under his wing, and he loved to golf, and I did too. And so he would call me and say, Troy, let's go golfing. And I'd say, fine. And we'd go to the golf course, and we'd play just he and I so many times. And while I would be putting out, I would look over, and Pastor Ammons would be over there on the side of the green, and he had big, long, uh, thin, long legs, and he'd just fold them up and sit on his, uh, on his backside on the ground. And I could hear him praying, God bless Sister Jones, and bless so-and-so, and bless so-and-so, and bless our church. And he would just pray, and then it came time for him to putt. He'd get up, and he would putt, and he would go to the next hole. And putt, then, and, putt and pray, huh? Putt and pray. <laughs> That's a good concept. The, the, inter- <laughs> the interesting thing about that, it was not for show. In, our, in the back of our uh, platform in our church was a prayer room. That's back when we had dedicated prayer rooms. A lot of churches still do. Mm -hmm. And there was a kneeling bench around three sides of that prayer room. And uh, we could go in and find Pastor uh, Ammons all the time where he would be praying. And when he was praying, you you could walk through the room, a door on each end, but you don't disturb the pastor when he's praying. Mm -hmm. But when he wasn't praying, you could tell he had been there because... This was in the years and the time of real cream. You mm-hmm. remember real cream? Yes. A little dab will do you. <laughs> yeah, some hair oil uh-huh. to keep your hair down. Now we use hairspray and uh, dippity-doo or whatever it's called. <laughs> but uh, in that corner, he had a prayer time in that corner every day, sometimes three and four hours a day. And that wall where his head laid up in that corner 
was just greasy with real cream. Now, that's a man who stayed on his knee all the time, and God blessed him. I'd point out he had three daughters, all of wonderful friends of mine, still wonderful friends of mine, but one of them has married a young man that was in our youth group at that time, uh, six or seven years younger than I, uh, and if Robert ever saw this, he might be embarrassed, but he always wanted to be with us older guys, and he was a nuisance at the time. You know, <laughs> He was uh, 12 and 13 years old, but he wanted to be a... But uh, he went with us a lot of time, did things with us a lot of times, and now uh, Robert is um, pastor in a church in Spring, Texas, a church of six, 700 members and doing a great job, and his wife, Brenda, is one of Pastor Ammon's daughters. So it's kind of fun to see how God just continues to expand the kingdom. And sometimes, and I'm even, even going to count a little bit of credit there because I helped Robert along the way. Robert Hogan, somebody, some people may know him. Look at Spring Church, Spring First in, uh, in uh, Spring, Texas. We have talked about the years that you've been teaching. Um, I not only view you as being my Sunday school teacher, but a, a part of um, Evangel Temple's mission over decades has been MAPS trips. And you have been a devoted, dedicated uh, worker on those for, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure dozens of those trips. I have. Explain what that has meant to you on, uh, from the standpoint of, of exposing you to other parts of the world and being able to take what is inside you and share that with uh, folks that, that you would, would have never dreamed having an opportunity to meet. Well, thank you for that because uh, uh, God has blessed our church, and there's a number of churches like that, but God has blessed our church with a <clears throat> heart of missions. Our pastor has a heart for missions. And you said MAPS uh, program, and people outside of our church may Wouldn't not know understand. what that means. But it's uh, uh, something in placement. I just missed it. It was in my mind a moment ago. But anyway, it's a, it's a place where we actually, missions and placement services. So we would take people with long-term desires for missions in locally, nationally, internationally, and place them where they were needed. And, um, and one of the things that they did with uh, MAPS is uh, uh, they, would, they would contact the, our General Assembly folks that are in Springfield, Missouri, they would contact missionaries throughout the world, and we've got a ton of missionaries throughout the world. Thank God for them. But they would contact them and say, what are your needs? And they would come back and say, we need a building. We need a church building here, or we need an orphanage here, or we need a team of 20 people to impact, evangelize, or whatever they need. And, mm-hmm. uh, and our MAPS uh, headquarters would call us and say, we've got a need for this and that and something else, whatever it is. So I, I, I have been involved personally, on uh, MAPS teams where we actually went out and built schools, uh, churches, uh, 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 where we can keep uh, uh, children, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, but we, we, would, we would build Orphanage. buildings, thank you, orphanages, mm-hmm. thank you, uh, great mind, you know, <clears throat> but we would build orphanages, whatever the missionary needed, mm-hmm. We would go, in many cases, it was more than we could do, but we have built churches. I'm talking about teams from our church has gone and built a church 
where the foundation was there, but we would build the church all the way up to include a roof and putting the electrical and a windows and doors and everything in it all in a week. But we'd take 40 or 50 men, and all these men paid their own way. Mm-hmm. Nothing was paid for us, and our church would furnish and provide the building materials. We'd have them on hand when we got there, and we'd start building. And over a week, we'd put up a building. Uh, these were, I remember, the first one we ever did was in a place called Comayagua, Honduras, and a building was 70 feet wide and 110 feet long, and we put it up in, in six days, including the lighting. But God had blessed us with that. Now, I have been on 25 of those wow. um, throughout Central and South America. One year in Bulgaria, one year we went to Spain and different places. And then I was involved at one time with uh, Teen Challenge, which is an an intercession group with drug addicts, and we we spent a lot of time working with a uh, teen challenge center in Bensheim, Germany, which is just north of Mannheim, Germany. And uh, so I've seen God work through a lot of these things. This is when I was in the military that I would I did that, but when I came home, uh, then I got involved with the mouse program. So that became a part of my life. My wife has been on a number of trips also. We would send medical teams, dental teams, and uh, she would work on those. And then, of course, the construction teams that we did. A good friend of yours, Troy, and uh, and mine, uh, passed away 20 years ago. His name was Hal Stewart. And uh, he was a an integral part of the uh, Evangel Temple family and, and on the administrative staff. But uh, his handprint was on not only, of course, he was the music director for years, uh, so he had that component, but but also taking and making arrangements for young people to go on yeah. trips. Uh, mm. Tell me about your memories of Hal and, and his impact on you and his impact on Evangel Temple. Well, Hal, uh, I, I will start this by saying that Hal probably had the rawest, most superior intellect of any man that I knew personally. Um, brilliant man. He, not very many people can see around the corners to say this may happen. There are a few. We see some on the national stage. But Hal was one of those people. And uh, Hal was a music minister. At the time, he was our music minister. He was nationally known and did a lot of things by recognition from our national headquarters. And then he was the business administrator for our church. And in doing so, he looked further down the road than I believe anybody has before or since. Perhaps not, but I believe so. And then in addition to that, he was the one that actually propelled the idea of this MAPS, this foreign missions thing that we did. But he had something that was different. At, at, at uh, one point, some, in fact, Jane and I were involved with it for 17 years in addition to the other things we did. But we had a youth choir in our church. And on, in the summer, we would take this youth choir on a week or 10-day tour most of the times nationally, but occasionally we would go, uh, for example, Jamaica or someplace like that. And uh, we would sing, not we, I didn't. I actually ran the sound equipment and drove the bus. Mm-hmm. So I had one of those real important double-duty <laughs> things, didn't I? Hard work thing. And, uh, but they we didn't would, get there without Troy Roberts. Couldn't get there. <laughs> well, somebody else would have picked up the load. But the point is, is I was blessed to do it. Jane would go as a chaperone, my wife, and... Uh, 
17 years we did that. We would take, uh, for a number of years, it was up to 90 people, two bus loads, and we would drive, oh, we'd drive three or 400 miles, and then we'd sit up and sing in a special service or a church somewhere, and we'd get spend the night, and the next day go another three or 400 miles and sit up and do it again, and we'd do that for generally 10 days. Occasionally it was a little bit less. So 17 years, and the crazy thing is is that through those years, I have observed young people that have come to no service to God. And in fact, in our church, uh, I don't know when this podcast will be available, but in our church this weekend, which is going to be the 24th of, of uh, September, uh, our guest speaker this week is going to be Jay Stewart. Now, Jay Stewart pastors a phenomenal church in, in uh, Concord, Carolina. North Carolina. But Jay Stewart... Beyond being, Jane, my wife just put it out, Jay Stewart was a ring bearer in our wedding 53 years ago. He was like five or six years old. <laughs> but Jay Stewart will be our guest speaker this week in uh, the services at our church. Been in the service of God from literally his childhood. But I remember these years, these what I call glory years of, of having a youth group, and Jay Stewart would drive uh, uh, one of the vans if we had a van, and oftentimes we did have to carry our equipment. He would drive the van, be responsible. He was basically a go-to guy. Anything you needed, Jay was there to do it. Now he's still in service to God, mm-hmm. and he's, uh, what, almost 60 years old now and still serving God. Not near as good-looking as he used to be because he's got a <laughs> scruffy beard and he's got a pretty bald head, and he's definitely not as good-looking as you and me. But the fact is is that God, we've, we've seen people over the years, probably if I sat down and could think about them, and I, uh, some of them I could, probably 10 or 12 of those young people that were in that singing choir are now in full-time ministry to God. Some missionaries, uh, some pastoring churches, whatever. But God's been faithful. That's a nice segue to the next question that I have for you. <clears throat> we, um, I don't care whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, uh, an evangelist, uh, music director, uh, we hit brick walls in our spiritual walk. We hit places where we've, oh, yes. we feel like that the bottom has fallen out um, and we're, we're at our wit's end and trying to figure out, Lord, Oh, yes. I, I need your help. I need you to show me that you've got me and that I'm going to make it through. And uh, you have shared on a number of occasions about a time like that. And, you know, and here you are, my Sunday school teacher. Well, we're all human. Yeah. We all find times when uh, we're desperate for the hand of the Lord to reach down and show us that he's got us. Yes. Describe what uh, that was like for you. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the time right after we came out of the military, active duty, and I went into the reserve. And um, my father-in-law had a good friend who was the a district manager for Metropolitan Life Insurance, and thank God for companies like Metropolitan and Prudential and, and many others. But uh, he arranged me to get an interview with that district manager who became a a mentor and a friend of mine, now deceased, of course. But uh, when I came back from the military, I went to work. And I, you know, the, and bless his heart, my my district manager promised me that I was going to be a millionaire by Saturday. <laughs> and, I, and that didn't happen. That did not happen. 
he didn't really promise that. But, you know, he did indicate that I would be successful. And ultimately, God blessed me, and I was successful. Uh, but I, not with that company and not uh, selling insurance particularly. But the point was is that when I came into that job, I did not flourish as I thought I should. After all, the smartest man in the world should be able to succeed in Columbus, Georgia, right? <laughs> but I didn't. And I remember uh, we'd, we'd taken all of our savings and put it into a house, and beautiful house I could still I could drive by and show you to. It's still a beautiful place. And um, after uh, eight months or so, we were absolutely just distraught. No money, no money coming in. Still had a house payment. At that time, we had two children now. Mm-hmm. And I remember one, uh, I, I was awake a number of nights, but I remember one night I could not sleep and I got up and went from our bedroom into the den Mm -hmm. and I sat on the sofa and I was just interceding God you know I need some wisdom here I need you to open a door Mm -hmm. and uh, finally uh, God finally pounded a lesson into my life uh, that I did not know until that time when I was about 30 years old now but I had not learned this lesson in what, 28 years, 27 years, 25 years, whatever it was, of Christianity. I had not mm-hmm. learned this lesson. And I finally said, God, uh, I literally verbalized this. I said, God, I have done all I can do. And I feel like I did. Even now I feel like I had. I said, I have done all I can do. And I'm at the knot at the end of the rope, and I'm hanging on for dear life. And I said, God, if you want me to fail, vocally, I'm saying this, God, if you want me to fail, then it's not my failure. It's your failure. Because I'm trusting you. I'm not going to try it anymore. I'm going to do the things I know to do. And I, whatever comes out of this, I'm going to accept it. Two o'clock in the morning. After this prayer, some 30, 45 minutes interceding to God, I felt some relief. I went back to bed. The amazing thing, Phil, is over the next couple of months, the doors opened up and God started blessing. And things started, success started to come my way. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I learned anymore other than to trust God. It's just the fact that I placed the battle in God's hand. It's not my failure now, Lord. It's your failure. If you want me to fail, it's okay. I'll accept it. But it's your failure now and through me. And uh, I wasn't holding God to a standard that he doesn't expect to be held to because that's what he does. Things changed, and life became a little bit better. It's not like we, <coughs> excuse me, it's not like we didn't have some blowback, if you will. Uh, we sold our house and bought one that was less expensive. God still blessed us, made great friends there, and they are still friends today. And, uh, uh, but God blessed us, and we, I, and I learned a lesson there that I never would have learned without going through those tough spots. So sometimes the battles come, and we seem to fail because we have to learn something that we've been too stubborn to learn before, that God controls our life. Now, I, I'm, I'm telling you that you've heard me say this before. My job as a Christian is not to bring people 
to salvation. My job as a Christian is to witness to people the things that I know about Mm -hmm. what God did for me. And I can sit here today talking to you on this podcast and tell you that that 2 o'clock a.m. prayer session I had changed my life. And now I'm sitting here, what, 45 years later, 47 years later, 48, telling you that God's been faithful. I learned a lesson. So my job as a witness for God is to tell people what God has done for me. It's a very simple thing. <coughs> a very simple thing. If people won't, if they don't know about God and won't accept anything about God, think of it like this. If you're unhappy and I can come to you and tell you I was at one time unhappy and I accepted God into my life and I became happy, that's the witness. So the reality is, if I can say that to the unhappy person and he gets to the point in his life where he says, I can't take it anymore, but Troy Roberts told me that if I accept God, I can change, so I'm going to try it. Now, there's no, there's no miracle in that decision. There's a miracle in the covering of the blood of Christ in our lives, but there's no miracle in that decision. That decision is a very practical decision. I was unhappy, and I'm going to try something different. And most of our decisions are based on that premise. How do you come up with your um, thought process of presenting Scripture in a way that me as a Sunday school attendant, uh, how does that process work for you? I know all teachers probably have their own methodology, but how does the Lord speak to you to know what to speak to us? Excuse me again. Uh, Pressure is getting to me. Uh, and you're right. Um, people prepare a lesson in different ways. In my particular case, uh, in my years of teaching, I have taught topical subjects, and uh, I've taught uh, extemporaneous subjects, things that happening now that we can apply Scripture to it. Mm-hmm. And, but most of my teaching is uh, where we actually go in and dig something out of the Word. So we either get a subject that's in the Scripture and we go with that, or we get a a scripture and actually go through that and break it down scripture by scripture. But generally in my lessons, and right now we're going through this uh, in the series that I'm doing now, where I have a goal that I want to arrive at at the end of the lesson, and you may have noticed this, but if I have the subject matter and I have to build up the foundation before I can put the roof on it, Mm -hmm. and so I go through scripture and say this is the foundation where I want to be, and then the last part of the, I, I teach 25 minutes, 30 minutes a, a Sunday, you know that. But the last five minutes or so, I start pounding on the lesson that I really want to be learned. For example, God is faithful. So if I want to teach you that God is faithful, I have to go back and say sometimes you go through rough spots. But the scripture backs up and says you, you're going to go through rough spots. It's, it's okay. Just learn from it. Mm-hmm. Be better for it. And so I always go back and say, well, I, I, want, I know what I want to end up with. And I go back and start building my foundation from there. Once I get there, hopefully, and thank God most of the times it works, but hopefully uh, the foundation and the path that I build will lead us to that 
final point, God is faithful. What's your favorite uh, Bible story? Oh, Lord. <laughs> you teach the Bible every Sunday. And, and we all have. Um... I'll tell you that probably the my favorite. I, now, that was a question that came out of the blue. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you think about it. My no, I, I I know what it is. Uh, I've been teaching something that's n- not involved, but yet it's not with my story. But yet it's it's connected to my story, and that's the story of Job. You do you remember the story? And some people may not know the story, but if you go back to the Old Testament and you start looking at Job, Job was a wealthy man, had a lot of children. Oh, he had more cattle and sheep and whatever and property. He he was absolutely. One of, the greatest, great, one of the greatest, richest men in the world. But he trusted God. And Satan went to God and he said, and I believe that Satan does talk to God like this. But Satan went to God and he said, you give me a chance at that boy and he's going to curse you. And uh, God responded, you can do anything you want to my servant, Job, but you can't take his life. You can afflict him, but you can't take his life. And you remember the story how Satan did everything. He took away all of his children. They were all killed, all of his wealth. And then he got down to his wife. And he got sick, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he was so sick, nobody could get him cured. And he got down to his wife, and his wife turned against him and said, just curse God and die and and get out of here. And then the story that sort of ends this is is two friends who came to him. And they put on what scripture calls sackcloth and ashes, sort of a ceremonial thing. And they sat by the fireplace and they daubed themselves with the ashes of the fire. And they said, we're going to suffer with you. And for one week, now these are friends, good friends. For one week, they suffered with Job. And what's the story that came out of that story? Job finally came to the point, which he had already agreed to a long time ago, I'm sure. But he said, even if God kills me, I'm not going to doubt him. Now, what is Job going to be glad for? There's not much to be glad for. He lost everything. And even the two friends bailed out on him. And he said, yet if God uh, kills me, I'm still going to trust him. Mm -hmm. But here's the uh, the, uh, crowning moment of that story. Job was was, uh, restored. And all of his... All of his wealth was given back to him. Not that wealth's important in his life, but it just shows God's faithfulness to people who believe him. God restored him, and it came about because Job said in that one simple sentence, even if God kills me, I'm not going to turn against him. I'm not going to doubt him. Of all my stories, and I can tell you a bunch of them. I've been around for a while. I can tell you a lot of stories. I'm telling you, there's not another story that has God's faithfulness demonstrated more more effectively than the story of Job. How's that for a favorite story? It's mine. I use it often, by the way. Uh, I like it. Um, How have you seen the Lord demonstrate to you that he loves you? Oh, again, by his faithfulness. Um, I I could be the next Job that sits by the ashes and say, oh, woe is me. I could lose everything. Hopefully I'm not, my wife's not going to turn against me, my children. But the fact is, I could lose everything. 
But I can tell you, it's my resolve now. And I haven't gone through a Job experience, but it's my resolve now to say, even if God kills me, it's okay. And I look at all things that happen. We can't control what happens in our life. Mm -hmm. I look at this pandemic that we've got right now. I cannot control whether I have COVID or not. I've had it once. I've even had the shots. I'm a a believer in the things that the doctors and the scientists have provided for us. In Leviticus, it teaches that all good things come from the Lord. Why should I not accept these good things too? Now, I know there are people that believe differently, and some of them is because they're sort of fighting against the oppression of seeming government rule, and we're not going to get into that. But the reality is, is I cannot control what's going to happen in my life. But the one thing that I have the ability to control is whether I'm going to trust God or not. And that comes down to a proactive decision on my part. And if I can't make that decision now that I'm going to trust God in the bad times, I'm sure not going to be able to make it when they come. When the bad times come. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Good. It's, it's just a good position That'll to be That'll preach. In. It's a good position to be in. Well, Troy, we have been sitting here for almost an hour, my friend. Can't believe it. And I, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed, hopefully, I, I, um, our listeners and our viewers have learned an aspect about you, if they knew you personally, even as their Sunday school teacher, still found out some things about you that they didn't know over the course of the last hour. I would hope that they've been reinforced in their faith. But I want to, uh, to thank you, uh, just as we don't really thank our teachers and our school system like we should. That's true. Um, we also, I can, I can distinctly remember my Sunday school teachers when I was a young boy. I can tell you their names uh, when I was just a little fellow. They used to use flannel graphs to tell yes. the Bible stories yes. back in those days and would put them up and, and Google that if you don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. But... Um, but it's people who accept their calling of being a teacher to help shepherd those who uh, want to study and, and, and learn more about how to live this, this walk with the Lord. Um, over the last 25 years, you've helped me do that better. Thank you. You've helped uh, the Join Air Sunday School class Thank to understand you. how to navigate this rough water. And, and you talk about rough waters with the pandemic, uh, even the challenge of you being a teacher. You've had to, to default to Facebook uh, and other avenues that were uncomfortable, uh, you know, to begin yeah. with. And even still, still, still. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's nothing like, you know, face-to-face. That's, right. That's right. But um, except for me as being one of your students, uh, as from the joiners class, from those who represent the folks who are sitting Sunday after Sunday under the tutelage of someone who spends time in the Word and time with God and then shares what you've been given with us. Please accept our, our humblest you, thanks for, for that. Thank you very much. That's kind of you. We appreciate you again coming by, being a part of this podcast. Again, one of my very familiar faces of faith. Thanks so much, Troy Roberts. Thank you, Phil. Bless you. When we get to this point, I always say no matter 
what you're going through, always remember to keep the faith. Thanks for joining us.